1: help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a 5-star rating and review. For the month of January, we will be featuring the novel A Non-Maternal Instinct by author Makia Burrell. To hear more about the author and the description of the novel, listen to last week's episode, A Non-Maternal Instinct, The link to purchase A Non-Maternal Instinct as well as her social media handles will be listed in the episode notes. If you're looking for motivation, make sure to follow her on Instagram where she posts daily devotionals. Please note that this series will contain explicit language and references. On this episode, Lovey discovers that life with Clyde isn't what she imagined and took drastic measures to change her situation. Colt finds a new woman and a better life than he had with Lovey, and Lovey finds a new baller to finance her lifestyle. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Part 2 on the road. Meanwhile, Lovey partied, snorted, and smoked her days away. Life with Clyde seemed sweet at first. He bought her whatever her heart desired since business was booming. She was the showpiece she desired to be and didn't miss her daughter at all. But then, about a year in, Clyde got hit by some New York niggas. They killed most of his crew, robbed his spots, and was looking to kill him too they weren't too keen on some baltimore nigga trying to claim territory in harlem so they ran down on clyde's home turf the attack had him so shook he and levy skipped town taking all they could in his cadillac they went to georgia and clyde attempted to set up shop again there However, gaining contacts and trustworthy workers was a lengthy task, and after some major losses back home, they needed money to survive in the meantime. After a week in Georgia, Clyde dropped Levy off at the nearest strip club. It was time for her to hold Clyde down, even if she had to sell herself to do so. This very eve would mark the beginning of Lovey's seedy demise. Lovey hated stripping with all her heart at first. She filled herself with drinks and drugs, any type she could get her hands on. Through this, she numbed herself and made her money. She also turned tricks outside the club with the other girls she knew from work. As they settled in, Clyde grew more distant, finding his business in Atlanta was almost as sweet as Baltimore used to be. Levy worked longer hours to fill her time and stack her coins in case she needed to make a clean getaway. It never once crossed her mind to return to her child, however, and the weeks faded to months. The months faded to years, two to be exact, and the thrill was gone. Lovey was still dancing, though it was originally supposed to be temporary she fell out of lust and was desperate to escape clyde's ruthless now abusive clutches she was tired of her lover turned pimp clyde had turned to the drugs he dealt and became abusive to boot from black eyes to cigarette burns lovey felt clyde's anger quite severely she had lost two babies through miscarriages clyde beat her into by year two lovey had enough of Fallen downstairs and other cover ups for Clyde's abuse. So she confided in her friends, Star and Zoriana, and a plan was hatched. Zoriana's boyfriend, Buffalo, was a stick up kid from way back and was always down to hit a lick. Zoriana approached him and told Lovey's story. Buffalo had been hearing about a Baltimore dude that was hitting the strap hard in Bankhead. Within a few days after convincing Lovey to go along with it, Zoriana provided Buffalo with the address to Clyde's trap house. Buffalo then contacted his main goon T and they hatched a plan. All Zoriana and Buffalo saw was dollar signs and Lovey felt vengeance seeing an escape from constant physical and verbal abuse, Tracy. The months formed to years, young Dream's formative years. Her mind and body grew rapidly and suddenly she was five. It's a perfect autumn day in 1994 and Dream started kindergarten on this very day. She skipped down the walkway to her daddy's house. Her hair pulled into two huge Afro puffs. They flopped with Dream's every move. Her book bag beat a rattling symphony, the sounds of pencils and crayons thumping against their respective cases. Her rattle matched that of a young boy, slightly taller, dark brown with beautiful features. They bounded down the walkway, heading to wait for the school bus. A voice called after Dream, one that snapped her out of her happy trance and sent her flying back towards the house in response. You're forgetting your lunch, honey bun tracy lane is dream's nanny and they adore one another since natalie's health started declining a couple of years ago Cole thought it would be a good idea to hire tracy to assist natalie in looking after dream tracy stood in the doorway of their house fighting tears and holding dream's lunchbox she couldn't believe her little baby boy was big now and Honeybun was a big old gal headed to kindergarten tracy was a young woman only 24. However, she had a child of her own, a boy, in age five. His father was her high school sweetheart, but the relationship soon soured after the birth of their son, Jonah. Jonah's father cheated, Treacy dumped him, and he refused to provide for Jonah. In turn, Treacy worked to support her baby and soon was hired by a young black entrepreneur. Treacy used to work in Colt's restaurant, and when he came by to observe, he noticed how she would interact with the neighborhood kids as well as her own son, who often came to the restaurant with his grandma while Tracy worked. Tracy would give the young kids money from her tips to do odd jobs that would keep them out of trouble she doted on the kids of customers as well keeping them at ease and making the family's experience at ambrosia smooth and memorable her big personality was effervescent and put everyone in a good mood so when natalie took ill and colt needed someone to look after dream while he worked he felt Tracy was the perfect choice it helped that she was very easy on the eyes though colt maintained that he wasn't looking for a woman Tracy was dark curvaceous and tall with sepia undertones. Her hair hung down her back in thick, soft, well-kept auburn dreads. She had a nose ring in the right side of her nose, wore beaded jewelry she made herself, and didn't wear makeup. She didn't need it for her smooth, ageless, stark skin. Her stride was elegant and her tastes were eccentric. She definitely marched to the beat of her own drum. Tracy loved God and loved her family. She loved to read and shared that gift with Jonah early. She did the same with Dream. Tracy also had obtained a degree in early childhood education a year ago, going to school while Dream and Jonah attended pre-K. She was the pride of her family, and many wondered how she hadn't been wooed and whisked away by some man wanting her hand in marriage. However, Tracy was content in her life, her son, her job, and the second family she gained through it. Tracy met Dream halfway, handed her the lunchbox, and kissed both kids again as Jonah had naturally ran back with Dream. She whisked them off to the end of the driveway where the bus had just pulled up. They lumbered onto the bus and Tracy cried watching her babies go. Tears of joy, pride, and protectiveness flowed as she sent her kids out into the world. Colt. Tracy's doting ways hadn't gone unnoticed to Colt. Though her job was to care for Dream, her loyal and loving care seemed to naturally extend over the entire house. They even had morning rituals. Tracy would get up before the children were. She would fix a pot of coffee, though she didn't drink coffee, and set out cups for Natalie and Colt. Then she would tie her locks and shower, dress, and begin breakfast. Tracy would be done in time to help Colt pick his suit and tie, engaging him in enlightened conversation. Then she dressed the kids for school. Colt admired Tracy's seemingly effortless sense of nurturing and organization. He also admired her beauty and wisdom. After two years in, he was certain he loved her, and it scared the shit out of him. The last woman he loved vanished with his jealous little brother. Still, Colt couldn't shake his growing need for Tracy. He broke down and prayed for clarity. Colt hoped God would lead him to an answer. Lovey. Lovey, Zoriana, and Star danced the night away, writhing seductively around poles for lusting men and women. As each woman did what now came naturally for them, their minds individually drifted to the events that were set to take place that fateful evening. Lovey's mind volleyed back and forth between fear of being without Clyde and relief of finally being freed from his abuse. She felt a shaky exhilaration as she snaked her firm body across the stage floor. Soriana was excited as hell about the liquor man Buffalo was about to hit. She hated Clyde, so his death meant nothing to her. However, his net worth was great enough to keep them all straight for a good while. Zoriana's excitement was reflected by how her eyes shone and her body gyrated vigorously in the dark club star was worried she was dating t buffalo's right hand and she cared about him she prayed that they executed the lick and hit smoothly without leaving any incriminating evidence as a result of her worries star's body was at the club but her mind was elsewhere Meanwhile in Buckhead, Buffalo and Teeth parked their Deville down the alley and crept across the backyard of a dilapidated house, Clyde's Trap House. Teeth hid in some um unkempt bushes with his silenced rifle at the ready. Buffalo had hired a neighborhood weed boy to act as a distraction to Clyde's muscle, Bullwinkle. The petty weed dealer tapped on the back door of the trap house and Bullwinkle answered. Before he could interrogate and accost the weed boy, Bullwinkle had a bullet to the forehead. This gave Buffalo time to creep into the side door Lovey left unlocked for him. Clyde's baggers were gone for the night, so he and Bullwinkle had been at the trap alone. Clyde sat at the table, counting money and smoking a cocaine-laced blunt. He heard the floorboards creak under Buffalo's weight and reached for his gun. He stood calling for Bullwinkle, but his words were interrupted by a burning in his throat. Buffalo was a marksman before being dishonorably discharged from the army, so he shot very precisely. The bullet pierced Clyde's throat from behind, and he fell to the ground, gun in hand. By this time, Tita entered through the back door, and the men stuffed money and product in duffel bags. The safe was open as Clyde was loading it with money before his murder, so the thieves emptied that too. When the jokes was finished, they threw a stack at the weed boy and hopped in the car with the loot. Due to the silencers on their weapons, no neighbors heard the shots. Clyde and his bodyguards would lie dead until Clyde's workers discovered them in the morning. The deed was done. Lovey was a free woman, or so it seemed. Colt. Colt had talked to God, his mama, his pastor, and his best friend about his growing desire for Tracy. They all knew her well and approved of her character. He battled inwardly for weeks on how to approach her, fighting butterflies whenever he saw her. Life went on as usual amongst the blended, but tight-knit family. One Friday night in October, Colt announced that the family would be going on a dinner cruise at the Baltimore Harbor. He'd even reserved a seat for Constance, the maid. Tracy and Natalie made sure that the kids and Colt were dressed to the nines and they set off to have dinner. Once there, the family was seated and enjoyed live music as they ordered their food. The beautiful family talked and laughed, enjoying each other's company. About an hour in, champagne was delivered to the table as well as roses and a small velvet box. The band began to play a soft tune as a spotlight shone above Tracy. Tracy knew her birthday was coming up, but not for another month. Her breath caught in her chest. Colt was nervous as he rose to his feet. He looked at his mama, his daughter, Jonah, and then at Tracy. Then he lowered himself to one knee. Tracy, I feel like God sent you to me to keep my hurting heart from hardening. I can't imagine not having you or Jonah around. You complete my family. Marry me, please. I love you. I can't hold it back anymore. There was not a dry eye at the table. Treacy accepted the sparkling ring, pulled Colt up, and jumped in his arms. They shared their first kiss, and Colt spun Treacy around in his embrace. It was official. They could love one another openly, exclusively. They were set to be wed. Dream, Jonah, Natalie and even Constance rushed to embrace the lovely couple and the other diners cheered. It was a beautiful moment that seemed to be a long time coming, one that would not be forgotten. Lovey. A month had passed since the murder of Clyde and Lovey was living high off the hog. The year was 1994, her daughter was five and being raised by another woman. However, Lovey knew nothing of this, as she never had the urge to call and check on her daughter in the three years since she'd abandoned her. She'd been pregnant twice since then, but had suffered two miscarriages. Other than physical pain, it hadn't affected Lovey much, as she never had a maternal instinct or nature. Now, with Clyde dead, she was on her own. She knew the combination to the safe in his condo and thus had access to close to $100,000 in drug money. Also, Clyde's workers brought proceeds of their labor to her, though they took extra money from the profits, figuring that they had nothing to lose with a dead boss. The streets talked, and it was determined that Clyde's murder had to be an inside job. There was speculation that anyone from rival dealers to workers could be a suspect. A few people suspected that Lovey could be the weak link, but no one really had proof some of Clyde's workers splintered off into other drug dealing factions others took the money and tried to start their own enterprises The police sniffed around, looking for clues that pointed to who murdered Clyde, but once they found out the lips were sealed in the neighborhood, prints were non-existent, and that Lovey had an alibi, the case began to go cold. Meanwhile, Lovey enjoyed spending Clyde's money and entertaining in his condo. She threw parties, inviting everyone who was anyone, including big-name drug dealers, rappers, and even a few government officials that frequented the club she used to dance at. Weed, alcohol, and cocaine flowed like water, and she even recruited some of her strip club acquaintances to entertain her guests. Inhibitions were checked at the door, and the whole place smelled like money. Lovey was too cunning to be stupid. She knew that Clyde's money wouldn't keep her living the high life forever. She was trying to hook her next big fish and was determined never to return to humping the pole. After a few months, the outlandish Anything Goes parties that Lovey threw every weekend finally looked to be paying off. Lovey caught and worked to keep the attention of a just drafted Atlanta Falcons player named Bryce Gordon. Bryce and his boys were an adventurous crowd and had heard of the parties through Zora Zoriana after they stumbled drunkenly into the club the girls worked at one night. Lovey smelled money and the ease in which she could get it and sent Zoriana to confirm her hunch, then sauntered over to do her bidding. After some seductive talk and some illicit activity in the VIP room, Lovey, Zoriana, and Star had each started the process of hooking a baller, boyfriends be damned. After attending the first and then more of Lovey's Anything Goes parties, Bryce was into a world of manipulation, sex, seemingly endless spending, and the beginning of his untimely demise. He didn't use hard drugs yet, but he drank heavily and was very gullible. Lovey seemed to have a black hole effect on every man she'd hooked her claws into. The only one who'd been freed from her wiles intact was Colt, who never even crossed her thoughts these days. The ever-calculating Lovey was on another money mission, Tracy. Life was a blur after Colt's surprise proposal. Between wedding planning, child rearing, and other domestic duties, Treacy noticed that she was feeling extremely tired and odd lately. Still, she pressed forth joyfully, lovingly caring for her kids, soon to be mother-in-law, and her man. Treacy was too busy to lay around doing nothing. When she suffered a bout of sickness one morning after cooking breakfast, she shrugged it off as a stomach bug, ignoring the fact that the smell of scrambled eggs made her nauseous. She drank some tea, tossed some crackers in her purse, and rushed off to get the kids to school. After that, she hurried to the bridal shop for what was to be the final fitting of her wedding gown. Once there, she greeted the elegant Mrs. Melody, the shop's owner her assistant giles her flamboyant but friendly nephew Tracy sat in the chase lounge in the shop's fitting room and chatted with mrs melody while giles retrieved her dress so how have you been Tracy? you look pretty but tired baby inquired mrs melody i'm okay just ready to get on down this aisle i think i'm trying to catch a stomach bug or something i'm not feeling well this morning Tracy said weakly Just then, Giles re-entered the room with Tracy's gown. It was a sight to behold, a cream-colored, form-fitting, mermaid-fit off-the-shoulder gown with intricate lace and pearl applique. The veil and headdress matched the design of the dress, and the train was adorned with small Swarovski crystals. It was figure-flattering, elegant, and beautiful. Tracy made sure she watched what she ate so that she wouldn't gain any weight and hinder the fit of her dress. She accepted the gown from Giles and wobbled, slightly dizzy, to the dressing room to try it on. Tracy almost fainted when she noticed that she was bloated around the midsection and Mrs. Melody could barely get the dress sippered. The elderly are often known for their wisdom as well as the candid ways in which they impart it a spry and stylish 62 year old was no different she sucked her teeth with a glint in her eye and blurted out child that ain't no stomach bug you in the family way you're pregnant Tracy felt faint again this time due to miss melody's startling revelation the sickness the fatigue the dizziness It all made sense. She also hadn't had a period since the month after Colt's surprise proposal four months ago, but she chalked it up to irregularity she usually had and stress. Tracy had shrugged off her symptoms, but looking at herself in her wedding dress, the new life growing inside her was slowly making an appearance, no longer able to be ignored. Now with her wedding three months away and her belly full of growing baby, Treacy didn't know what would happen with her dress or how she was gonna break the news to Colt and the kids. Almost as if she read Treacy's mind, Miss Melody spoke authoritatively. Don't you worry about this dress, I'll just let out the stitches around the belly and add some thick spandex around there so you and that baby can fit in it on your wedding day. I think you need to go on home and get some rest. Maybe call the doctor and set up an appointment, don't you? Yes, ma'am, Tracy replied, still dazed. Slipping out of the dress, getting dressed, and driving home was a blur to Tracy. She and Colt couldn't keep their hands off of each other after the proposal, but she had never expected to get pregnant. After having Jonah, Tracy developed a recurring cyst on her right ovary and the ovary had to be removed. This made it harder for her to conceive and her periods irregular. She never expected to have more kids, so being pregnant by colt seemed miraculous to her. As she laid in bed nursing a cool ginger ale and crackers, her shock gave way to joy. She called the doctor and set up an appointment for later in the week to confirm her pregnancy and allowed herself to daydream about the future of her family. Everything was coming together so beautifully through God's grace. Dream dream was very intuitive for a five-year-old. Wise beyond her years, she understood exactly what was happening in her household. Tracy and daddy were getting married and she would be the flower girl. That meant she got to wear a pretty dress and carry a basket of flowers down the aisle of Nana's church and everyone would be watching her. It also meant that Jonah got to carry a pillow with rings on it and wear a nice suit. It meant that Jonah would be her real-life brother and that Tracy would be her real-life mom. Dream knew that her real mommy ran away a long time ago and she used to ask for her until Tracy came. As the months passed, Dream realized she felt close to Tracy. The love was different, stronger, and more personal. After a while, she didn't miss her real mommy anymore. Lovey was starting to become a distant memory. She liked her new nanny immediately and hoped after her daddy would too. Every night she said her prayers, just like Nana told her, and she'd ask God to let Tracy and Jonah stay around forever. Now that daddy was marrying Tracy, Dream found that God had answered her prayers. Everyone was happy as one big family. Dream couldn't imagine how anything could be better. She grew more confident as she felt the warmth of stability and maternal love from Tracy. Tracy brushed her hair in the morning and had her recite something she called affirmations. The affirmations went like this, I am anointed with God's favor, I am smart, I can do whatever I set my mind to, I am loved, I am beautiful, and I am blessed. Dream believed in her affirmations, and it wasn't a day she didn't recite them to her reflection in the mirror. It was another thing that brought her and Tracy closer. Jonah had his own set of affirmations too. They discussed it, Jonah and Dream as they did everything. Dream and Jonah both excelled in school and wanted for nothing at home. The kids got along wonderfully and did everything together but bade even get in trouble. Jonah was protective of Dream and stood up for her against any bully. They'd even made a pact to share their parents with one another well before the parents got engaged. As far as they knew, they were real siblings. Colt doted over them all, never taking the stresses of running businesses out on his family. Their tightly knit little family was covered in God's favor, noticeable by anyone who witnessed them. Colt Colt was happier than he'd been in a long time. He knew Tracy was the one and anticipated the day she became his wife. This past year had been an eventful one and God had seen them through it all. Though he was happy with his life, Colt felt a sense of melancholy on this particular day. He volleyed between his cleaners, his restaurants, and his bookstore, but he was more stoic than usual. He couldn't quite put his finger on it until he caught a glimpse at a calendar. It was May 27th the year anniversary of the day he and his mother natalie got the call notifying them that his brother clyde had been murdered though his backbiting brother had whisked off his no good baby mama right under his nose clyde was still his brother he practically raised him and gave him everything cole had even turned his drug lord status over to his brother when he went legit it hurt like hell when his brother and lovey crossed him but it didn't make the pain of knowing his little brother was dead and that they never have a chance to recognize reconcile or even fight any easier to bear. After making his rounds, Colt drove to Lake Clifton to sit and sort out his feelings before he went home to his family. He didn't want to make the atmosphere of his home heavy with his burdened thoughts. Thinking about his childhood with his brother and thoughts of the day he met his daughter's mother and the good times with the two people that hurt him most, Colt cried silent tears. Then he prayed and prayed some more. After about two hours, he felt put together enough to go home to his earthly comfort, his family. Colt walked through the door of his home 20 minutes later. He was greeted by Dream and Jonah who were at the door before the key was completely turned in the lock. The kids were hopping from foot to foot with pure excitement. Colt knew his kids were usually happy to see him when he came home from work, but they had an extra sense of vigor today. Daddy, daddy, we're glad you're finally home. It took so long, exclaimed Dream. Yeah, mommy says she has a surprise for us all, but we have to wait for you first, Jonah yelled. Colt walked through the foyer, holding the hand of each child to the living room, where Tracy, Natalie and even Consuela sat patiently. Natalie also remembered the significance of the day and still mourning, she hoped Tracy's surprise announcement would lighten the mood. Her youngest child may have been a bad seed, but he was still her child and she wasn't over his death. She suspected Colt wasn't either. Colt kissed his mom on the cheek, greeted Consuela and sat next to his soon-to-be wife, hugging her to him, savoring her scent, kissing her neck. Surrounded by his little family, he began to feel better. Tracy stood up after absorbing Colt's affections and nervously cleared her throat. She had seen the doctor two days ago, but waited for today to share it because she too knew that the day was the anniversary of Clyde's murder. She wanted to bless her fiance and family with some good news on an otherwise traumatic day. Well, my surprise was a big shock to me, but We're having a baby. I'm pregnant, Tracy announced tearfully but triumphantly. Dream and Jonah erupted into cheering, jumping giddy balls of five-year-old joy, then began debating on whether they would be getting a brother or sister. Natalie jumped up and hugged Tracy, all smiles. Colt sat there with an incredulous look on his face, then rushed to hug his fiance, lifting her from her feet and swaying back and forth as they cried together. Consuela took the side in, clapping happily. She then slipped away to set the table. It was a truly blessed moment after a few more moments of celebration belly rubbing and looking at the ultrasound pictures, the family went to have dinner. Tracy answered her family's questions. Yes, she was having sickness. No, she didn't know the sex yet. She was three months along, so it was too early to tell. Colt looked around the table at his family and said a silent thanks to God for whenever the ills of the world tried to get him, the Lord always sent a reminder that there was so much to be happy and grateful for. Bryce, by way of lovey. Lovey was still dating young Bryce and milking his pockets for all she could. About six months had passed since their initial meeting, while Star and Zoriana were only able to get a few flings and a few thousand dollars from Bryce's teammates. Lovey had lashed her hooks into Bryce and he had fallen for the game hard because he was not used to female attention. Lovey knew this because though Bryson was a pro footballer, young, and moneyed, he was very shy and had an uncertainty to his demeanor. This is exactly why the cunning lovey targeted him and not one of his more egocentric, extroverted friends who were used to tricking and leaving. You see, Bryce was big and skilled at football, but smart and handsome, he was not. He'd been made fun of relentlessly through elementary, middle, and high school for a list of reasons. He was overweight and had a birthmark on one side of his face. Bryce was naturally very light-skinned, but his birthmark was very dark. His mother had also drank a lot when she was pregnant with him, and one of the effects was that Bryce was left with learning disabilities and a stutter when he was nervous. His father left him with his alcoholic mother when he was two months old, so sometimes Bryce was shuttled between aunts, cousins, and his grandma. Finally, at age 10, his mother got sober and became an active parent to Bryce, but it seemed the damage had been done. By this time, he had been teased mercilessly at school and abused by his relatives so much, he developed anger issues. His mother loved him the best way she knew how and tried to make up for lost time by working a lot and spoiling Bryce with whatever he desired. The trinkets still did not numb the pain he felt from being treated as an outcast. and so Bryce ate his feelings. By ninth grade, he was six feet and 366 pounds. He was also fighting a lot because he was fed up with being ridiculed. There was so much anger inside Bryce mixed with self-loathing that it seemed to emanate from his pores. One day after classes had let out, Bryce's gym teacher approached him. He invited the troubled boy into his office and talked to him. He asked questions that let Bryce know that he cared about him and wanted to help. Pity was apparent, but so was concern. The caring way in which the coach, gym teacher, spoke to him caused Bryce to open up. He revealed that he hated himself. He hated his size, his birthmark, the fact that reading was a struggle for him. He hated that he was so angry and that he really didn't have friends. He hated himself. After Bryce was done venting, he was in tears. Then... The coach offered some assistance that would change bryce's life he offered to help bryce to lose weight over the summer break by telling him how to eat right and to play football the coach explained that not only would football help him to slim down but it would give him an outlet for his anger and allow him to make friends by being a part of a team bryce accepted the offer and as weeks turned into months pounds fell from his body and things changed drastically for bryce It turns out that he was extremely gifted at football and worked his way up the ranks of the team. By his junior year, he was the running back of the varsity team. College recruiters were coming to watch him at games and they weren't the only ones paying him attention. He had friends and girls too. Suddenly, football had made him popular. His body was more muscular, though his face was the same. Bryce was riding high on the hog for the remainder of high school into college. He didn't even have to worry about his grades. As a star athlete, his coaches and teachers made sure he had tutors that basically did the work for him. Still, with all the perks of being an athlete and popular, he never forgot his days of self-loathing and ridicule. Because of this, Bryce was still shy, quiet, and insecure under the bravado he wore around his teammates and girls. Even being drafted into the the NFL during his sophomore year of college didn't quell his secret feelings of inadequacy. This underlying insecurity was sniffed out by Levy the master manipulator, and she played the role she needed to in order to use it to her advantage. She played the damsel in distress, becoming soft and needy in Bryce's presence. She told him she was only a stripper until she could save up enough money to start a salon and boutique. She created a sob story about how her high school sweetheart moved her to Atlanta and abandoned her. When she found out Bryce's mother left him to be raised by his family members, Levy one-upped him by creating a her parents being murdered in a carjacking in front of her when she was five. Bryce never knew she had a child she abandoned. He never knew she lied about her whole past. He just knew he had to save her. He believed Lovey was a good girl trapped in a bad situation. Bryce was so mesmerized by Lovey's beauty, her skills in the bedroom, and the facade she put on, he pulled her off the pole and financed her life. He was even considering marriage down the line. Lovey had turned him out, simply put. His trusting nature would be a huge factor in Lovey leading him to his demise. Lovey. While her first baby daddy was off living the soon-to-be-wedded bliss with a blessed new family and a baby on the way, Lovey had no clue and never let a thought of Colt or her daughter cross her mind. Instead, she was on a mission to become in the family way herself. Almost a year into her relationship with Bryce, Lovey was strategic in her plans to continually financially benefit from Bryce's rising star status in the NFL. Bryce was a powerhouse on his team, and the more his talent showed and other teams began to vie for him, the more his net worth rose. Lovey knew that there were groupies around, even thirstier than she was, and she was determined to keep her spot in Bryce's life and pockets. She laid it on him in the bedroom, learned to cook his favorite meals, dressed to the nines and showed up to every game. She'd even cozied up to his mother the best she could, though his mother seemed only to tolerate her for Bryce's sake. With Lovey scheming ways, working magic with the unsuspecting Bryce, he moved her into his mansion in an affluent area of Atlanta. Lovey wanted for nothing except for a more permanent meal ticket, so she came up with a plan to attain the ultimate gold digger's token, a baby. One day, when Bryce was at practice, Lovey rummaged. his nightstand drawer to find his condoms bryce was in love with nice lovey the facade she put on but he wasn't ready for kids yet so he used protection with her it was a good act of caution on his part too as lovey still messed around with a thug nigga that used to work in clyde's old operation and they didn't always use protection lovey wasn't attracted to bryce physically or satisfied sexually but she was enticed by the life he provided for her so to fulfill her physical needs she kept a dude on the side. She hadn't popped up pregnant by the side dude because she was on birth control pills. However, after the idea of birthing a future meal ticket came to her a month ago, she stopped taking her pills. Finally coming across his magnums, she took a sewing needle and poked a hole not visible to the naked eye into all of Bryce's condoms. It may have been the oldest trick in the book but it seemed like it would be efficient. Lovey gagged a little, thinking about having to pretend to enjoy Bryce's his lackluster sex that he wasn't packing enough for but she gave herself a pep talk and felt accomplished with the plan she put in motion she was going to lay it on bryce every night she could until she got pregnant then through either child support or obligated marriage she'd have her permanent stake in Bryce's finances the wedding day today was the day Tracy became Mrs Colt Weaver and she couldn't be more thrilled she didn't feel a bit nervous as she checked to make sure everything was right the wedding party had booked two suites at the Radisson in downtown Baltimore and both were abuzz with prenuptial preparation she was six months pregnant with another boy and was every bit of a glow. Blushing bride. By her side was her mother Tony, and a pan of her mother's famous mac and cheese. Tracy's mom could burn, and was the only one who seemed to satisfy Tracy's pregnancy cravings these days. Tony was a stunning woman, tall, curvy, regal oak brown and looked just as youthful as her daughter. She preferred to wear her hair braided and it was twisted into an elegant updo for the wedding. Tony was down to earth, nurturing, funny, and tough when she needed to be. She raised Tracy with barely any help from Tracy's father, but always acknowledged and taught her daughter about the grace of the Heavenly Father who had gotten them through many tough times. Tony, a retired bank teller, doted on her grandson Jonah and readily accepted Dream as her Own. She approved of Colt and got along well with Natalie. She had no qualms about her baby marrying into this family. Her intuition told her it was okay. Tracy was relieved to have her mom by her side. They were best friends. Also there to help her get ready was her longtime friend Stacy, her cousin Kathy, her sister-in-law Lena fussed around treacy running to get her food helping her put on her gown checking behind the hairstylist and makeup artist it was hysteria but somehow treacy remained calm and counted the minutes till she kissed her groom on colt's side his barber put the finishing touches on his shape up while the men conversed and heckled colt his cousin tim His best friend Devon, Tracy's older brother David, and his friend Luther were there helping him get everything together while doing their best to make him nervous. There were jokes about how Colt would no longer be a free man and how he may wear the pants now, but how Tracy would run the castle. They told him that a happy wife was a happy life and that he never went in an argument with his wife. The men threw around all the typical married life anecdotes, but Colt was only half there. He felt no nervousness about marrying Tracy. He knew she was the one. Colt couldn't wait to see her in her gown. He excused himself to put on his tux, anxious to meet Tracy at the altar. There was only an hour left. Meanwhile, Dream and Jonah sat very still in Natalie and Tony's presence, trying not to get dirty or wrinkled. The kids had practiced their walk down the aisle several times and they were ready to get it done. Dream was a princess in her pale pink and cream flower girl gown her hair was half up half down with shiny ringlets cascading down her back her look was complete with pale pink lace socks and cream colored satin mary jane shoes jonah was a prince in his cream colored tux with a pale pink tie a mini replica of colt's tux his shoes were cream as well and his curly fro was freshly shaped up The mothers of the bride and groom wore pale pink gowns of different designs with the same fabric. Tony's gown was a cold shoulder style, sleek floor length gown with a slight train and a pearl with gold trim. She finished the look with satin cream and gold pumps. Natalie's gown had sheer sleeves with an organza ballroom skirt and pearl trim. Her look was complete with cream bejeweled flats since Natalie walked with a cane due to a stroke she'd had a year ago. Everyone looked amazing and finally it was time to go. Are you still up? Girl, Good night.